Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It's April 4th, 2018. I am back in the frozen tundra and joined by Michael Warren, the White House correspondent for the Weekly Standard. Um, Another bizarre day, Michael. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a day that ends in Y. Yeah, it, it, it is. So let's let's jump right into this. Uh, you know, Washington seems to be acting like they're surprised to hear that Donald Trump is a subject, not a target of the Mueller investigation. So the Washington Post report says that that Trump himself is very relieved, feels vindicated, uh, much more comfortable about the prospect of talking to Mueller because he is not a target. He is just a subject. Should he be that relieved? I don't know, Charles. I mean, this is a constant struggle in sort of covering um, not just the Mueller investigation, but sort of all of the um, legal team intrigue and uh, stories like this, what you just described with sort of the president's views on this, because there's so much that we that we don't know. And let's just look at this Washington Post story in particular. Um, yes, it comes out last night, uh, supposedly a bombshell that um, uh, that the Mueller investigation is not does not consider the president a target. It considers it a, 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 him a subject, um, and we don't know exactly who got this information out there to the to the post. It could be the or, president's or why, le- or why. Right. the the president's yeah. legal team could have gotten it out. the The Mueller investigation, which is pretty um, keeps a, a pretty tight ship, uh, they could have gotten this out as well. And the implications for who uh, leaked it or who helped start the story uh, off, uh, not to take away from the intrepid Washington Post reporters, but that's the way things work here in Washington, um, it also would determine why they did it. If this is something where the, the, the president's uh, team uh, wants to sort of reassure the president himself, uh, they might sort of ask the Mueller team what they probably already know, which is that at the moment Trump is not a target, and yeah. a target has a very specific meaning. Yeah, that, let's let's go let's sure. go through that because it does have a specific meaning. This is for from the manual for U.S. attorneys. A target is a person as to whom the prosecutor or the grand jury has substantial evidence linking him or her to the commission of a crime, and who, in the judgment of the prosecutor, is a putative defendant. A subject, on the other hand, of an investigation is a person whose conduct is within the scope of the grand jury's investigation. Now, uh, it, you know, in this in this world, uh, the notification that someone is a target is a very very specific act, and the manual says that n- notifying uh, someone that they are a target would be inappropriate in routine clear cases or when such action might jeopardize the investigation or prosecution because of the likelihood of flight, meh, destruction or fabrication of evidence, endangerment of other witnesses, undue delay, or otherwise be inconsistent with the ends of justice. So it breaks my heart to disagree with my good friend John Pedoritz, who says this is a really big deal that Mueller uh, says that uh, Trump is not a target because it means he doesn't have, after all this time, does not have uh, the goods on Donald Trump. I think the key word here is yet or or currently not a target. And especially when you think in terms of whether or not, uh, you know, Mueller and his investigators want to sit down with Donald Trump to notify him that he is a target makes that interview extremely unlikely. But uh, saying you're a subject apparently is has induced uh, the president to disregard the advice of his smarter lawyers and say, I would love to do that. And, of course, you can move from subject of an investigation uh, to uh, a target of an investigation based on your conduct. If, in fact, you lie 
during that conversation. And Mike, the, the, the other, I thought a very interesting part of this story was uh, the little tidbit that that Bob Mueller is preparing a report on the obstruction of, of justice. And that that kind of had a little bit of Ken Starr vibe to me. You know, keep in mind that Ken Starr did not indict Bill Clinton. He issued a report that led to the impeachment. So I'm not sure what's really all that surprising in this story. And I'm really not sure what Donald Trump should, you know, why Donald Trump would be relieved to have it reaffirmed that he is very much a subject of this investigation basically means I'm a suspect in this investigation and that they are focusing on you and that they still want to put you in legal jeopardy by having that that uh, that interview. Right. I, I imagine that um, if that's if that's the case, that this is sort of an effort uh, to maybe induce the president to come into an interview. The president might just very well think uh, against the advice of now, I guess, his, his former uh, top legal aide, uh, uh, top legal advisor, John Dowd, uh, that he could sort of go in there and, and put this all to rest, put this all to bed. Uh, and, uh, and, and and that would be that. Uh, of course, his lawyers are probably trying to do everything they can to make him not go to this interview. Uh, but if he thinks he wants to do it, then um, then then maybe then maybe he will. Uh, look, there are so many there remain so many unknowns. So, Charlie, you could be right that this um, does it that that the most important word in that in that Washington Post story is yet he is not yet a target. John Podoritz and, and others may be right to say this is this sort of puts an end to the idea that uh, you know the Mueller investigation is going to get Donald Trump. I sort of have a hard time believing that uh, Mueller will recommend or Rod Rosenstein uh, will will try to prosecute a sitting president. I think right, that, that's right. the, and then there's very a real dicey. tough legal question there. That's right, and but, I think it, that's that's allowed. That's right, and I think I think almost certainly um, the Justice Department through Rod Rosenstein would sort of decline to do that if we even get to that point, which we are we are not at yet. But your question about the reports, the the the, the fact that uh, Mueller is drawing up a report, sort of gets at. Um, what I've always been wondering and, and questioning about this whole thing, which is what is the end game here? What kind of report is uh, is uh, mm -hmm. Bob Mueller going to, to write up after all is said and done, after we get through all these uh, indictments and sentences as we got our first sentence yesterday? Um, and is that a report that's delivered to Rod Rosenstein, the deputy AG who's who's in charge of this? Is this a report that goes straight to Congress? Um, we just we just don't know. And, and, and I think that Ultimately, it, this, it's an unsatisfying answer. Um, but until we find out all of the facts, it's it's hard to draw conclusions. So it, perhaps it's going to be uh, Trump vindicated, and, and that certainly reflects how he feels. But we've also seen throughout this whole story that there are moments where Trump says he feels vindicated, or we learn that Trump feels vindicated, and then it turns out that we learn something new, some new element, some person who's talking uh, to the Mueller team, uh, and and you know we get another indictment, or we get another uh, plea deal. So um, you know, you're, you're, these are really important points that you're making. You know, to to constantly remind ourselves what we don't know, and also to you know try to reverse engineer some of these stories. You know, what are the sources? Uh, what are the possible agendas? We don't know whether this came from the Mueller team. We don't know because I mean they've been incredibly buttoned up. I mean we you know I, I, and again one of the other things we learned yesterday um, in that in that affidavit that was filed in the Manafort case you know we we did learn in the other story it's kind of been been lost in in the shuffle here the degree to which Rod Rosenstein has has really had Robert Mueller's back you know that that in fact they have been in communication he has been authorizing uh, the uh, the, ex the expanded scope of this investigation but. 
You're right. We just don't know. And I want to go back to this point about the the report. Um, Matt Miller is a former uh, Justice Department spokesman, and he he thought that that the report was the biggest news out of that uh, that story. He said whether whether he would write a report has been one of the big outstanding questions since that is not what DOJ prosecutors usually do. That tells me, Miller says, two things. First, he must think there is some evidence of criminality or he probably wouldn't be writing one. He would more likely just close up shop. Secondly, if he has told Trump's lawyers about it, he has likely already he likely already have gotten some sort of a green light from Rosenstein to either release it or send it to Congress. Hopefully that's the case. And of course, the pressure on Rosenstein would be it would be overwhelming. So, yeah, we we're still in that situation yeah. where we don't know. Charlie, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, th- that's possible, but it's also possible. Look, this is a case. This is a the, the whole special counsel issue, the Russian investigation, and the president's you know potential involvement or his the fact that he's a subject is is one of in of intense interest to the American public, and it's one of these things that uh, seems to me like a a special case um, where uh, no matter what the answer is, no matter what comes out of all this, whether uh, Mueller has all the goods or he's really got nothing, if it's the sort of John Podoritz view of things or something else, it's it's one of these things that I think we, we need to know as much as we can at the oh, yeah. end of all of this to sort of move on as a country. So I sort of view the the, 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 the drafting of a report as, um, as not necessarily indicating anything more than Mueller uh, having, uh, having a sense that uh, we need to have a conclusion and some closure on this question, no matter what it is that ends up in that report. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's. I, I agree with you. Also, you know, I I found myself uh, yesterday, sort of fantasizing, you know, looking into the future and imagining how fascinating it will be to read a history of our era, um, <laughs> when we know all of the facts and all of the details. You know, how how many of the the stories that that we had you know obsessed about in the moment turn out to either be you know sometimes they might be turning points, sometimes they might be you know absolutely blind alleys, but all of the 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 denials, the attempts to obstruct this investigation, when we know all of the facts, when we know all of the details, how different that will look in retrospect. But of course, in retrospect, we're all a lot uh, smarter. All right, I want to talk about another a couple of other things happening. We have at the moment we are taping this, and things may change by the time people listen to it. The stock market appears to have the uh, jitters once again, uh, in part um, over a trade war and the president's uh, campaign against uh, Amazon. I want to talk about uh, also uh, what happened in Wisconsin and why Republicans are basically uh, at the 8, 9, 10 freakout level on a scale of 1 to 10. Uh, but 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 before we do that, I want to talk about one of our sponsors, sponsors of the daily podcast, Tripping.com. You don't need to visit a ton of different sites. On Tripping.com, one search lets you compare every home from the world's top vacation rental sites in one place to find the best deal on your perfect vacation rental. Now, vacation rentals offer a lot more than just, you know, going to a, a Motel 6 or, or any other, you know, hotel. Um, you know, more privacy, more space for everybody under one roof, more choices, fully stocked kitchens, extra bedrooms, even hot tubs, all the comforts of home, and then some. And best of all, Tripping.com lets you join millions of travelers who find more savings with rates uh, up to 80% less than traditional hotel rooms. So if you're planning spring break on the beach in Florida, Tripping.com. If you want to go to Lake Tahoe this summer, Tripping.com. You want to just sit on the deck of a Smoky Mountains cabin, Tripping.com. And this year, you can save time and money when you book, when you book the vacation home of your dreams with Tripping.com slash standard. 
That's T-R-I-P-P-I-N-G.com slash standard. You can find your perfect vacation rental. All those uh, all vacations right, uh, sound so great, Charlie. I, I would love to, I would love to go and to all those places. I, I have a, you know, a, my, my, my family, uh, you know, my, my grandkids live in France and they come in and, uh, you know, for, for the summer. And this is something I've been thinking about. Uh, what a great way to get everybody together and move around and introduce them to, to the country. So we can, uh, right. um, I'm definitely going to be using tripping.com. In any case, uh, Michael, uh, stock market uh, continues to freak out. Uh, Larry Kudlow is on the job, sending mixed messages about tariffs. Uh, you know, it is interesting. A couple of things. You know, the the president has said that tariffs, uh, I'm sorry, the trade wars are easy to win. The markets certainly don't seem to agree, but Republicans seem awfully muted about this. Yeah, they, uh, that's an understatement, Charlie. Uh, look, I think that uh, a lot of people here in Washington, a lot of Republicans, they wince privately. They talk. They sort of shake their heads uh, at the uh, this kind of talk. They reassure themselves that people like Larry Kudlow, a free trader in good standing, is 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 a powerful advisor now in the White House, and just say that that the president's really not going to do much uh, on this on this question of tariffs and um, and and he's he's in, and I suppose I mean this is what Kudlow told reporters this morning at the White House that, uh, well, don't expect anything anytime soon on this. This is kind of the president venting. Um, but I mean, Yeah, the Chinese have already imposed the tariffs, right. the retaliatory tariffs. So it, it, there's it, a price to venting, isn't there? That, that's right. And, and it's not just Larry Kudlow. I mean, there are people like Peter Navarro, who I profiled recently in the Weekly Standard, um, people like Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary, who are advising him that um, that a trade war would be, uh, would be a good thing. And not just that a trade war would be a good thing that we could win, but that uh, we are already uh, so deep into it, we've just got to start fighting back. And there's this, I will say there's, I was reflecting on the president's uh, tweet about this this morning, uh, in which he, he pointed out that there's a... $500 billion trade deficit uh, with China and a $300 billion, uh, $300 billion of, of intellectual property that China has been stealing. And, uh, and and that sort of encapsulates, I think, the problem of the president's approach to all this, which is a conflation of a bunch of different things. Look, Chinese uh, stealing of uh, American companies' intellectual property is a real problem. Uh, the, the currency uh, devaluation of, of the Chinese currency by the government there uh, is a real problem. Um, a trade deficit with China, where it's which is essentially um, the idea that, that we uh, import more things uh, then we export to China. We give them our money and we get a bunch of stuff, cheap uh, things that we can't normally uh, uh, make here as cheaply. Um, that that doesn't really, that's not necessarily or primarily a problem. Now, maybe it's, it's a it, bookkeeping it, entry. That's right. Now, now maybe if you value American manufacturing, which the president clearly does, um, there, there is a sort of losing aspect to this. But um, it's 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 an it's a sort of a concept that that misses um, a lot of the other benefits of having um, of ha- having us buy a bunch of stuff cheaper made in China. Uh, and that that makes things a lot cheaper for consumers here in the United States and uh, frees up uh, our time and our money uh, to go be you know buying other things or investing in other things. I mean, it's sort of a complicated system. And I'm not saying that there are not 
problems with it that need to be addressed and maybe need to be addressed through the World Trade Organization, which China is a part of. Um, but, you know, China's cheating is is one thing. China's uh, sort of in- engagement uh, with us and with the rest of the world in uh, a sort of global economy uh, under normal rules, um, which there is some of that going on, is an entirely different thing that the president seems to conflate all into one big problem where the United States is always yeah. losing. Well, and and and, and we're get, we're getting a lesson of what trade wars look like with the uh, the Chinese tariffs about fifty billion dollars uh, this this morning, and and the way he, that they're going about it. I mean, they're they're, they're imposing the twenty five percent tariff. On everything from soybeans, cars, chemicals, corn, cotton, beef, orange juice, whiskey, tobacco, uh, ginseng, and and these seem to be very strategically targeted to some of the states that Trump won uh, in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, in Michigan, in Missouri, in North Carolina, in Nebraska, where people are going, hey, you know, we actually want to sell more stuff to China uh, than less. I mean, in Nebraska, they sell about sixteen million dollars in pork to China every year. In Wisconsin, we are actually one of the um, biggest makers of ginseng, and China is the biggest uh, customer for all of that. And suddenly you wake up and you have this these, these tariffs Im- imposed. Uh, so, you know, with Larry Kudlow, I, I, I tweeted out a little while ago, I like Larry Kudlow, but this is not going to end well. <laughs> right. um, I, I mean, this, this, will, this will not, this is not going to uh, end well. So this brings me to, to Amazon. Uh, this is another subject that uh, Republicans and conservatives have been um, uh, so- somewhat quiet about. The president of the United States using his position to attack a major American company, a major American employer, and has, and has uh, unlike some of the other uh, tweet insults that he's thrown out, has really been effective in driving down the stock price. The other day, Amazon lost, I think, about 5.2% of its value. You're talking about tens of billions of dollars wiped off. Uh, you know, th- this is, you know, leaving aside, you know, the issues about, you know, a- Amazon's effect on on the, on the marketplace and the creative, you know, destruction of, of capitalism. You know, the bottom line on this is this is about Jeff Bezos and Jeff Bezos owning the Washington Post, which has been critical of the president. And, you know, if some of these stories are be to believed, um, I think it was Vanity Fair reporting that he's, you know, talking about how, how we can uh, we can F with, uh, uh, you know, a- Amazon. You really have the president of the United States talking about using the power of government to vindictively attack a private company in an effort to retaliate for news coverage. That just strikes me as kind of a big deal. No, I, you know, I agree with that, Charlie. It's, it is a big deal. And, and, you know, let's separate out very quickly that um, there may be some very legitimate questions about Amazon. Uh, Remember, it was only only recently that Amazon started paying um, state sales taxes um, and collecting, collect, excuse me, collecting them from us, those of us who use it um, uh, and and, and paying the government. So it's not as if Amazon, uh, look, Amazon is a, is a big big corporation just like any other and it, it, it's rent sinking and tries to find ways to avoid paying taxes and, and playing by the you know trying to to, to, to uh, bend the rules a little bit um, so there may be there may be legitimate criticisms of Amazon and I'm um, not sort of well versed enough in, in in all of that to to speak to that but it's interesting to see coverage uh, of the president's comments that, that sort of brings those perhaps legitimate criticisms up when 
you're exactly right, Charlie, that none of that really has anything to do with the president's own uh, criticisms of it. He does not like Jeff Bezos, I think, for some psychological reasons. He's uh, uh, Bezos is uh, sort of <laughs> richer. much richer and um, <laughs> more respected. <laughs> that's right. And has, has sort of created a company out of nothing. Um, and, uh, and he hates he, I think he, he dislikes the Washington Post's coverage of him. I should say he hates the Washington Post coverage of him and, and sort of draws the connection. He also the president speaks to a lot of of his friends in the business community um, who very who, who also may sort of share that jealousy of Bezos or sort of frustration that he's. He's sort of shaken up this industry that some of them may be in and sort of retail and real estate. And, of course, real estate has such a uh, a close relationship with the retail industry. That's all disappearing. Yeah, but um, again, I, I don't I, – I, again, I, I don't think this has anything to do with the substance of these these issues no, about no, no. Amazon. I, I agree, I mean, with, I agree with you. But it's all this, about the Washington Post, that's right. isn't it? Otherwise, we wouldn't be even talking about it. No, I think so. I, I, I'm just saying that, that he is no. he is goaded by, by these yeah. friends that he talks with and, and he sure. listens to. To, um, who were sort of outside saying, you know, um, you, you, Mr. President, you got to go after Amazon. Let's let's think though about where this all came from. This was the this, this sort of gener- we've known that he's griped and, and grumbled about Amazon uh, before, but this all sort of happened last week. Axios story that um, uh, that reported first that he was talking about this again, that the president was mentioning how we need to go after Amazon again, and that's actually what started. Um, that's that's some powerful uh, journalism there. That's actually what started Amazon's. Stock, uh, maybe plunge is too uh, tough a word, um, but the, the, for their price to, to drop. And then the president sort of took up that idea that people were now people were talking about it. Um, he was sort of back in the conversation and he, he had um, sort of a, 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 given the go ahead to kind of go after Amazon. Um, and it's had real consequences. I think, right. that, I think this is probably the extent of the president's actions against Amazon it's i think it's certainly creepy what he's what he's suggesting and sort of going after uh, a a newspaper that's been critical of him uh by going after the 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 uh, owner's other company um but he doesn't seem to have any plans to do anything regulatory eh. about it i you know i i, I, w- I wish i I, I wish I felt that confident because I, I do think that, you know, there's there's, you know, Pentagon contracts. There's a variety of other things That's that fair. could actually That's do. Fair. But, you know, the the, uh, the the standard has a, a editorial today that asks the question, you know, what if, Obama, you know, what if Trump were Obama and, and Sinclair were CNN? And it starts off by talking about this whole issue of of Amazon and raises the question. We can't help wondering what the case would look like if Obama or some other Democratic president had challenged Amazon in such a hard hitting and slapdash way. We think we know the answer. The president would be guilty of attacking American capitalism and trampling on the American consumer and recklessly interfering in the private sector economy. So, Mike Warren, why are Republicans so quiet about this today? Well, I think that they view it the same way that I just described it, which is that the president's not going to do anything. Um, this is the kind of they, they, the Republicans in Washington have a sort of a short term thinking about this, that, um, look, we can contain this. Um, he's really not going to do much more than 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 rant about it on Twitter. Uh, and I, I don't think there's sort of a long term um, what you were getting at, Charlie, which is concern about norms, concern about um, the 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 idea that an American president could be, you know, saying these things and targeting a specific company um, that 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 he doesn't like, and, and using the bully pulpit to really hurt it and hurt its market share, uh, or, or hurt its market value, yeah. I should say. And and I think that that is 
that, that is sort of emblematic of the way Republicans in Washington are dealing with the president. I think a boil, all what it all boils down to very short sighted. Yeah, is is a fear of the Republican base by Republican lawmakers. This idea that there are these yeah. angry people out there who must be satiated and Trump is kind of a representative of them and, 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 and really kind of a, a, a figure of fear who represents this, 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 this base that the Republicans have that they don't really understand yeah. and they don't even, maybe not even really like. But conservatives, I think, ought to be the ones who are, and I, I've said this before, they ought to be the ones who are most alarmed at the at the at the real and then the potential abuse of power, uh, that you know, in, in in if you have the president sitting there realizing, you know what, I can I can destroy the stock price of any company um, that criticizes me or you know gets crossways with my administration or my policies. All I need to do is start tweeting about them, and I can wipe out three, four, five percent of their stock price. I mean, that is a tremendous um, you know potential for abuse. And look, you know, for folks on the left, you know, since uh, American companies and capitalism is, you know, the root of, of a great deal of, of evil, um, you know, that that's the kind of thing that, well, you know, why not? But but conservative Republicans, you know, ought to really be the ones stepping up and saying that, you know what, this is the nightmare scenario that, that the founding fathers who didn't know about Twitter warned us about. This is why we have for years been talking about the danger of excessive uh, you know, government regulation and the government harassment of the private sector and the, and the free market. Okay. Uh, in the time we have left, though, I want to uh, move on to what happened in, uh, in my home state of Wisconsin uh, last night. Um, obviously, a lot of media attention for uh, the, the liberal victory in the Wisconsin Supreme Court. This is the first time that a liberal Supreme Court justice candidate who was not an incumbent has won in the state of Wisconsin. And uh, the Democrat-backed candidate, Rebecca Dillette, not only won, she won by double digits. And this morning I was uh, texting some of my friends in uh, in Republican circles here in Wisconsin, and I asked them, so what what is the freakout um, uh, level today on a scale of 1 to 10 um, and the answers came back um, eight, nine, and ten, uh, particularly when it comes to to Walker. Eight that um, low? I mean, that's well. In part, it's because <laughs> the turnout was was large and showed the degree to which the liberal base is jazzed and willing to turn out, even in a relatively lower profile spring election. I mean, there were more than a million votes cast, and some of the the votes from the the Democratic strongholds were, were were just were just blow away, and and Scott Walker himself tweeted last night, you know, that there's a risk of a blue wave. Uh, you know, he's he's basically hitting the uh, the 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 red alert button here. No, I, I think absolutely right, and and I, I took Scott Walker's tweet as um as the sort of. It's not really a leading indicator, it's sort of a lagging mm-hmm. indicator, but he's he's won now three statewide elections. Uh, if you if you count the recount, um, he's running again. He knows the state. He knows the, the, the politics of the state. And he can see what's obvious to all of us, which is that Democrats, liberals, very, very uh, uh, excited, very motivated. And on the other hand, Republicans and conservative voters are not. You know, for all of the talk about, you know, the, the enthusiasm among Republicans for Donald Trump and the sort of uh, the, the control that Republicans have across not just Washington, but across the country in governor's mansions and in state legislatures, there's this sort of weird sense of ennui among conservative voters that, uh, you know, sort of we have all of this 
power and what do we have to show for it? There's a lot of frustration. And, um, and I think that that is all playing into a kind of, this is, this is kind of what happens. You get kind of fat and happy as a Republican, uh, or, you know, in your political party and, uh, and people just kind of don't have the enthusiasm and, yeah. well, and Democrats on the I, other hand do have it. Yeah. And that's, that's the big danger. Now, a couple of of just uh, little details, you know, maybe you know from from the ground here about this, the the uh, the way that the the Republicans screwed this up. And by the way, the state Republican, even though this is a nonpartisan election, the state Republican Party uh, and business community went all in uh, for the conservative candidate uh, Michael Scrinock. A uh, couple of things here um, that that were were mismanaged. Uh, this was a seat held by a conservative justice named Michael Gableman, who made it clear, um, you know, a long time ago that he wasn't going to run for re-election, and the word was that he would leave if they found him a job, if they found him a soft landing spot. Um, if this thing had been better managed, I think they would have taken care of Judge Gableman, uh, had a vacancy on the court, which would have allowed Scott Walker to appoint someone who would then be able to run as an incumbent. And that has been the formula that conservatives have used in the past, which is that if you have an incumbent state Supreme Court justice running as a conservative, it is very, very difficult to, to beat that person. So had they uh, managed this somewhat more deftly, they might have had somebody on the ballot running for re-election, not somebody in an open election. And then number two, probably somebody who was a better and stronger candidate than Screnock, who was uh, quite noticeably mediocre. Um, so here's a lesson for Republicans. Um, and in, in this challenging environment, you need to bring your A game. You can't stumble as many times as you have. And and, you know, we talked about this a little bit uh, last week. This is this is like the second state week we've been talking about Republicans dropping the ball in Wisconsin, of all places. You know, that that whole issue of not calling the special election. Um, but you almost get the sense that some Republicans are going into this this year kind of with a case, a bad case of the yips. Yep. Which is not which is not good in sports and it's not good in politics. No, not at all. And and not just the yips, but uh, you know the, the to sort of extend the metaphor, it's uh, sort of imagine all your um, your good veterans, the people who sort of hold the team together, kind of uh, retiring. You know, calling it quits. Um, there's I think what you yep. end up having is a bad environment that only sort of uh, or the sense of a bad environment and and that creates momentum to get a lot of good candidates out uh, who say, I don't really want to put myself on the line on this, then you do get the B team or the C team. Uh, and uh, and we saw that in Pennsylvania. We've seen it in Wisconsin. And I think it's a it portends uh, very badly for Republicans uh, this November, even though supposedly Donald Trump's uh, Republicans numbers are going up in Washington. Yeah. And but the problem is, of course, back to the issue we were talking about, about the trade wars and trade wars and Amazon.com and the stock market. You know, this was the one thing that Republicans had going for them. This was they were going to run on that tax cut. They were going to run on the strong economy. They're going to run on the, you know, look at your 401k. Uh, if if they don't have that, um, I mean, it, it, it is possible that by November we'll look back on this spring as kind of the high point for Republicans. Those were the good old days <laughs> before all this other stuff happened. Hey, Michael Warren, thanks once again for joining me. I appreciate it very much. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow, and we'll do this all over again.